And we're back. This is Southern Sense here live on Blog Talk Radio. High Plains Media, SHR Media, Kinetic Hi-Fi, The Fix FM out of Charleston, South Carolina, Stitcher, Spreaker, oh, iTunes, and what the heck. Just go to our website. It's the name of the shoe. Not the shoe, the show. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And I'm your hostess with the most is the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host and author, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, it is time to rock and roll. We've got ourselves some great guests today, and the first one is up in the batter's box. Shall we welcome aboard? All right. <laughs> right. Uh, he is the host and founder of politicalislam.com. And let's welcome aboard Dr. Bill Warner. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon to you. Uh, I mean, I have to apologize. Normally, I have your website up in the show description, but for some reason, Blog Talk Radio has been playing games with my mind, and half the stuff I put up on the show page disappeared, so I will correct it. It will go back up, uh, because, you know, the majority of people that listen to our show listen to the podcast later on in archives, and I want to make sure that they do go to your website, because it is a powerful and informative one. Well, thank you so much for appreciating it. Oh, it took man. a little time to get there. <laughs> well, it's taking a lot of us a long time to get to where you're at. And I, I swear, I have even a much longer road to go down. You know, you've got some great books that I think I'm going to start ordering some of them because I didn't realize uh, that you actually have an educational series that people can take, sit at home and do the, and read through them and truly learn what Islam is actually about. Well, not only do we have, I have two self-study courses. I'm a former college professor, and the easiest job I ever did in my life was to uh, lecture. It was like, you mean I actually get paid for standing up here and talking? Because I'm kind of fond of talking. So, but I realized that people need to be literally led by the hand through the learning of Islam, because everything in Islam contradicts what you think it should be. You think, well, if it's a religion, then the man who heads that religion is going to advocate the telling of truth. But no, he advocated deceit. And so you would think that a religion would be devoted to saving lives, not taking lives. So Islam is so contradictory. I found that a lot of people's wires just kind of wouldn't accept the information, and so you need to lead them through it step by step. And so that's what I've tried to do so that you can sit down at home and uh, run it on your own in your own way. And, by the way, starting about next week, we're going to open up the worst, the first web-based educational system on political Islam. There will be courses you can sign up and take, talk with other uh, course members, uh, see how the material is applied. So we're going to create the first web-based self-study course. Wow. Exciting. Uh, that is fascinating because um, last year we had a local Unitarian church, and that should speak volumes just by saying it's a Unitarian church, holding Love Thy Muslim Neighbor. And the fact that these people were taking the word of these individuals at face value and not delving into the truth behind what was being told to them, I found mind-boggling. I could not believe that they were being so gullible, so naive, and in fact, stupid, in my opinion, that they would take them at this word. Oh no, Sharia law will never replace the Constitution, as the imam was raising the uh, Constitution over his head. And I did not believe a single word. (laughs) I was not the favorite person in the room on that day. Well, there's something interesting here. 
I had a Pakistani Christian tell me this because I've dealt a lot with, I, I, this is all that I do, deal with political Islam, and so that naturally puts me in front of some Christian leaders and Jewish leaders. And Christians love to say, we, we need to love our enemies. But I had a Pakistani Christian say this to me. He said, if you love a Muslim, you will take away his Quran. If you love a Muslim, you will take away his Muhammad. If you love a Muslim, you will destroy his Sharia. And he doesn't mean run up and grab him out of their hand, but he does mean that you should explain to a Muslim exactly who Muhammad was, because they have no idea. Or if they do, they're not going to tell you in public. So, now there are, deception is part of Islam. It's very, Islam is quite clever. As a matter of fact, clever, shrewd, and tough. And I find that most Christian leadership are simply professionally ignorant. You can learn more about Islam by just scanning the news headlines, and these people will admit to knowing. So I call the clergy professionally ignorant. Now, I live in a town called Nashville, Tennessee, which is, used to be called the buckle on the Bible belt, but the church's pants are so far down around their ankles that no one calls it that anymore. Well, it's amazing because I reported about two years ago that the number of schools that have to have an Arabic interpreter in there to to cater to this influx of, of immigrants and refugees in the Nashville area is astounding. Here you would think they would bleed the Bible, but it's it's not true anymore. And the school district cannot uh, handle this burden of the influx of these immigrants. And in Nashville, of all places, as you said, the buckle of the Bible belt. Well... That doesn't mean much here anymore, because the clergy here... Let me give you an example. There was a lecture given by the Muslim Brotherhood at Vanderbilt University, and this so-called FBI counter-terrorist expert spoke, and we had... She's now retired, and we had our own expert, a retired FBI agent of 34 years himself. And so he stood up when she got through talking and asked her if she'd ever read the Sirah, the Hadith, or the Quran. Well, it turned out she had not, and she became a little angry when he said that. But the American Muslim, the Muslim Brotherhood operative, when he closed the program down and just said, you know, send everybody home, he said, we need to understand, this was mostly young Muslims at this, that as Muslims were winning the civilizational war in the United States. He says, we're migrating, we're having more children, and he says, most importantly, the evangelical Christians now accept us as a brother religion. This is spoken in Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. The evangelical Christian leadership has now accepted us as a brother religion. You know, said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I have to admit, uh, our church last year, uh, a friend of mine who happens to work for NCIS, those that watch TV knows exactly what I'm talking about, the Naval Criminal Investigation Unit locally here, and he and his wife put together a series teaching the truth about Islam. So our church is not following <laughs> the lambs to slaughter. Thankfully, there are those of us that are out there that are still fighting the truth about Islam. And I think everyone out there within the sound of my voice has got to learn what the truth is. You know, how Takiya and Kidman is actually pulling the wool over everyday American lives. I mean, I was watching... Of course, I'm sure everyone was glued to the TV with these riots that were going on in uh, North Carolina. And standing front and center was this imam. And I swear, I wish I could have reached through the TV and slapped him silly. Uh, but that's kind of being a little unchristian of me. But that's what I wanted to do, honestly. 
Well, I tell you, <clears throat> in my opinion, Christianity is suffering from the cancer of nice. Christians have become so nice. If you rape a Christian woman in the Middle East, Christians here are so nice they won't even recognize it and talk about it. If you kill Christians in, the, in Africa, the Christians here are so nice that they don't want to bring up an embarrassing subject. So, you know, it strikes me that as I watch people read Scripture, they usually take nothing away from it except what they brought to it. But one of the things that I point out to Christians is, is that Jesus was not a nice man. As a matter of fact, he was hated and despised. And I love to ask Christians, so who hates you? And don't tell me the devil. I want a name and a face and a zip code and address and a telephone number. Who hates you? And if no one hates you, and if you're not upsetting the authorities, really, what are you doing? You know, uh, we've got a lot of people up in the chat room posting, and one of them happens to your friend, Kel, uh, and she's saying we're killing ourselves with our own altruism, and that is uh, the God's honest <laughs> truth. <laughs> but it is. I mean, a Muslim will know more about what's in the Bible than a Christian will. That's the truth. But a Muslim oh. will not know oh. what's in the Quran. The uh, had a man write me. He said, my 14-year-old daughter is being approached by a Muslim on the school bus who's trying to convert her to Islam. Now, here's an important point. He is exactly and precisely correct. He is trying to convert her to Islam, and here's the deal. He receives training in how to convert Christians called Dawah, D-A-W-A-H, Dawah. He has a game plan that he's executing. He knows how to refute arguments. He knows what she's going to say. He knows how to push back. So why is it that a young Muslim male knows how to convert Christians, but this sweet young Christian girl has never been taught anything by her church about anything about Islam. For instance, she has never had explained to her what a Sharia marriage is. There are Christian women wearing, marrying Muslim men, and they have no idea what's in the future for them. That I condemn their, their leadership in their churches for. But our church leadership is just about nickels and noses. They just want to see somebody in the pews, and they're not going to accept. They're not going to upset anybody. I've even had ministers say that. Oh no, no, we never say anything from the front of the room that will offend anyone sitting in the church. Well, really, and you're bragging about that? You know, it well, is. I would agree with. Go ahead, Curtis. I would agree with you, um, Doctor Warren. I, I've known friends of mine who married um, Arabs and went overseas to the Middle East to live. And that's when they really saw the full um, weight of Islam come down um, on them as far as um, how they conduct themselves as wives and their position as a, a wife and, and who controls the children. Matter of fact, a couple of them tried to leave um, that, those countries over there, and the men were able to hold on to their children. And exactly. women would come back here and have to try to through diplomacy or whatever, get the kids back. Good luck. Well, you know, our actually, own government will not represent you. No, and that's the truth, because I have a friend of mine who did escape, and she's living happily in North Carolina with her husband and her son. And what happened to her was she fell in love with this guy of Arabic descent, a Muslim, and she was over in France, young, naive, and she became pregnant. And what he did was he returned home. And I believe it was Lebanon he went home to. And he conned her into going to him. So once she was there, he held her captive. 
And then when she gave birth, yep. she could not leave, nor her son. And her son was being taught radical Islam by the father. And she was doing oh, yeah. her best to tr- keep him with, as a Christian. Thankfully, she had some friends that helped her after a number of years to escape with her son. But she had no help from the American government whatsoever. And to this day, oh, no, no, the, the, family- the American government will represent... The American government will represent the Saudi husband abuser, wife beater, because they don't want to be hater, bigot, racist, Islamophobes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, she is in the process of writing about her experiences, and thankfully her son grew up to be a very productive American and happens to be serving in the United States Marine Corps. So obviously the family didn't have that much influence on him, and she had more. But God bless her. Yet no one is talking about women like this that end up having the children taken away from them uh, by their Muslim uh, fathers, and they never see them again. I know the case. I know of a specific case with a specific woman. She approached her priest, she was a Catholic, about should she marry this Muslim male, Muslim man. And he said, oh yes, it will bring the religions closer together. Well, he was a wife beater, and she finally left him. And he, in court, argued that under the Sharia, the children should be given to him. And the judge in Memphis, Tennessee, did so. And he left 48 hours later and has never been back to America. And that's This the was pro- a judge. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've got judges supporting Sharia law. But had it been the other way around... But, <laughs> Go ahead. But, well, but, the real key here is why did her priest not know enough about Sharia marriage to know to tell her, do not do this, it will end badly. Oh, and by the way, I'm being very harsh with religious leaders. I always need to put in a little footnote right here. When I condemn Christian and Jewish leadership, and I'll condemn Hindu and Buddhist leadership as well, I'm only condemning 95% of them. <laughs> only 95. <laughs> There's about 1 in 20 who actually has a backbone. Yeah, well, this brings us around to why should we trust moderate Muslims? Are there really, truly moderate Muslims out there? Well, if we're going to talk about Muslims, we have to ask, what is the measure of a Muslim? If you're talking about a, being a Christian, and you're a liar, a cheat, a thief, and a th- then I say to you, you're not a Christian, and the reason is I will point to Scripture and say you're violating these commands. Okay. So if we want to talk about a Muslim, we should not go with our scale of, for instance, the golden rule or helping strangers, because those are our measures of what makes moderation. We should go only to the Islamic doctrine, and this is a distinction that I make with people. I do not discuss Muslims. I discuss the doctrine they follow. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is a moderate Muslim? Well, they would follow moderate Islam. And what is moderate Islam? Moderate Islam is to imitate Muhammad and to follow the commands of the Quran. That is what makes you moderate. So therefore, if you're in northern Iraq and you have captured a, is in a part of jihad, you've captured an, uh, a Christian female, it is your moderation to rape her. You say rape is moderation? Yes, because Muhammad raped war captives. And in the Quran it says, those whom your right hand possesses, you can have sex with. Right hand possesses means they were captured in combat. So is rape of a Christian woman moderation? In Islam it is. And our, by, our, by our standards, this is an appalling violation of human rights. So when we say moderate, we have to put the scale to it. 
driving at 70 miles an hour is moderate if it's on the interstate, but if you're going through a school zone, you've broken many laws. So we have to apply the rule before we can say whether it's moderate or not. Do I make sense to you? Uh, yes, because if if we, but what we call by our standards as moderate Muslim is then an apostate. And in actuality, they are not yes. a practicing Muslim. Yes. So they are not following the doctrine. They're not following the teachings of Muhammad the way they should be. And therefore, they are considered or, by their standards an infidel. Or they could be deliberately choosing to appear moderate and yet hold within their heart the truth. You see, that's another way it goes. There's a, there is, my favorite hadith reads like this, we smile at your face with hate in our heart. <laughs> Think about what I just told you. We smile at your yeah. face with hate in our heart. Absolutely, absolutely. And yet we're the ones uh, accused of Islamophobia. And as my husband and I were watching TV a little while ago, uh, he came up with something, and I kind of like moderated, not moderated, modified it. Uh, instead of Islamophobia, they're guilty of kafrophobia. <laughs> right? Yes. So why aren't we accusing and, them and of being way, anti-Christian? But when they say Islamophobia, most people focus on the phobia part. Where you're saying I'm crazy. I focus on the Islam part. So okay. I'm is, you say I'm phobic about Islam. Well, which part of Islam am I phobic about? Am I that which allows Muslims to capture slaves? That which allows Muslims to, to kill Kafirs? You're right. I am afraid of the idea that there is a jihad command to kill Kafirs. And I am afraid of that. And I despise that. And I hate that. So you are quite correct, sir. I am an Islamophobe. I recommend it to you. Well, I'm one of the adorable deplorables. <laughs> Go ahead, Curtis. Hey, um, as you know, we have Louis Farrakhan and the nation Islam, and they have a form of um, Islam that they practice. Um, yeah. Do you see the two as being compatible, or do you think if ever Islam, the traditional Islam from the Middle East gets over here, they will wipe out the, the type of Islam that um, Farrakhan practices? I'm going to make, I don't normally get in the prediction business, but I'm going to make a prediction. After Louis Farrakhan dies, the Sunni Muslims, the Wahhabis, will take over his empire. They're just patiently waiting. They're, he's useful for them. Muslims are, the, the doctrine of Islam is highly practical. It is civilizational war. It is not just jihad of the sword, but civilizational war. And they can advance their program in many, many ways. And that I am the biggest admirer of the Muslim Brotherhood. They're so clever, shrewd, and tough. And they have plans that go out for decades and generations. But the kind of Islam that Louis Farrakhan practices would not be considered Islam under... It doesn't adhere to all of the Quran and the Sunnah. But what difference does it make? In the form of Islam, and they strengthen the, and they strengthen the, the, believer, they strengthen the believer's hand. Well, now, would we then say that Islam can never truly be changed and then people like Dr. Zudi Jasser are actually dangerous to America? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this Islam we're going to change. The Islamic doctrine is found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. Those are the three sources of <clears throat> the Islamic doctrine. We could say that the Bible of Islam is Quran, Sirah, Hadith. There is nothing more to be known about Islam than what is found in there. And if it's found there, it is Islam. So, therefore, we have to measure what 
and I suddenly realized I got off of my sidebar here. Oh, Zudi Jasser. So is Zudi Jasser a form of moderate Islam, or is he simply a form of ignoring Islam? What I find that passes for moderation is simply saying, well, we don't practice that. We don't talk about that. We ignore that. So if Islam is the Quran, it's, which the Quran is perfect, eternal, it was, in, it was written down by Allah before the creation of the universe, it is complete. How does one reform a document which is perfect and complete and universal? How do you reform that? Muhammad's life has already been written down. How do you reform his biography, the Sirah? How do you reform his traditions, the Hadith? You can ignore them, but how do you change them? So how do you reform Islam? And let me ask you this. Why would you want to reform Islam? The people who call for reform normally are, are normally not the Muslim. Now, I'll admit that Zudi Jasser claims to be a Muslim, but if you ever looked at Zudi Jasser's audience, does he go down to the Wahhabi Mosque and preach his form of Islam? No, he does not. Zudi Jasser preaches his doctrine in front of the Kafir, who wants to hear. Who wants to reform Islam? Not the Muslims. It's the Kafir who wants it reformed. But how do you reform something? That's like saying we're going to reform triangles. Uh, a triangle, how do you reform a triangle? You can make another figure, but it's no longer a triangle. Yeah, so once you attempt so there's no reform possible. Yeah, once you attempt to change Islam, then Islam no longer exists. But that's not going to happen because, unfortunately, uh, because of the spread of Islam and because of the brainwashing, we're finding now in France, Germany, England, Christians and Jews converting to Islam. <laughs> Completely ignoring... And why shouldn't they? Here, here, let, me, let me give you an example. Why shouldn't they convert? Here in Nashville, Tennessee, the so-called buckle on the Bible belt, the head of the Bible department at Lipscomb University, which is a Church of Christ school, has proclaimed in print that he would never say that Christianity is a better religion than Islam. Well, if you're sitting in his class and he tells you that Christianity is not a better religion than Islam... They're equivalent. So what difference does it make whether you're Christian or Muslim? And you look and you say, well, this is the head of the Bible department at a university. Surely he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's a professional idiot. Absolutely, because as a Christian, uh, to me there's only one God, and there's my God, and there's no one above him. So to Islam, Allah is God, no one is above him. But it's competing religions. It's not religions that can coexist. They're di dipolar. Well, look at the 1,400-year look at the history. Over 60 million Christians have died in jihad over 1,400 years. But we don't want to know that. We don't want to study that. I speak with Christians who do not know that Iraq used to be a Christian nation. I speak with Christians who don't know that Egypt used to be a Christian nation. You would be appalled at the ignorance of Christians about the history of the church because, in their mind, Christianity did not start 2,000 years ago. Christianity started of all about when the foundation of America as a nation. So therefore, all of the things that came before America, Christians in this country know nothing, and so therefore, they are foolish about history, and they will believe anything that's convenient. As you can tell, I'm not kind. <laughs> no, I, I don't blame you, honestly, because you know, everyone turns around and blames America for all the problems, but Christianity and uh, Islam has been at war since the birth of Mohammed. He has been fighting Christians and Jews from day one, and no one wants to admit that. And people even forget that Syria was the heart of Christianity at one point. You know, oh, the, listen, Damascus, 
which was the capital of Syria when it was captured, was the intellectual powerhouse of the Christian world. And yet Christians don't know that. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the problem, Islam is winning, not because it is so good, but we're losing because we are so ignorant, so afraid, so compromised by political correctness. We'll do anything not to be hated. We'll be anything not to be told you're a bigot. And by the way, I speak to the world as I speak to you now. And what happens? I'm called a bigot, a hater, an Islamophobe, and a racist. And when you get through those four words, what have you got? Nothing. <laughs> uh, I gladly ascribe to that club. You know, it's, it's not that I hate. It's just I hate the doctrine. And the people that will blindly follow it without even knowing what the heck they are following without even taking time to do the research and see what is behind it. I can understand you're born into a family that is practicing this particular doctrine. I'm not even going to call it a religion because it's not. It's a geopolitical system, Islam is. It, I do not ascribe it to a, a religion. Matter of fact, it should be registered as a political party here in the United States. I've said that for a long time, but people don't want to accept that. Uh, but well, I grew up Roman Catholic. And when I looked at what the Catholic Church was doing, I stepped back and I said, whoa, wait a minute. This is not what I thought Christianity is about. So now I am an ag a conservative Anglican. This is what I feel true Christianity is about because I did my homework and research and I decided for myself. But the problem is with Islam, it doesn't allow you to decide your own destiny. And the more that idiots convert to Islam, the more they give away their rights and freedoms we all fought so hard for. I'm starting a rant. I'm sorry. You know, the word freedom does not really exist in the Arabic language. They have a word which they say translates as freedom, but it means not a slave. Yeah, we have to understand. You see, you've revealed your, your secret ethnicity when you extol the virtues of freedom. Islam extols the virtues of a slave, the slave to Allah, Abdullah, slave, Abid, uh, slave, Allah, slave to Allah, slave to the Sharia. Pure freedom in Islam is slave to the Sharia. So see, the, on something as simple as freedom, for instance, if you leave your present religion, you do not worry about having a car bomb or being killed or driven out of your community. But if you're a Muslim, you do not have the freedom to leave. That's apostasy. So, no. And by the way, one of the great tragedies that we see of in the collapse of rational thought within the Catholic Church, the Jesuits used to be good reasoners, good with critical thought and logic. The Pope we have now, I guess, is still a Jesuit. I don't know if he ever stopped being one. And yet he shows himself incapable of using the facts of history and shows himself incapable of using any sort of rational thought. Instead, he wants to, he's the big hug theory of, of, ra of rational thought. Oh, we just love everybody. Well, it's funny because my pastor, when the Pope was uh, finally installed, I asked my opinion about him. And I said, oh, the communist in Rome. And he looked at me and he goes, isn't that a little harsh? And I said, I'm a former Roman Catholic. I know what Catholicism should be. That is not Catholicism that he is practicing. That is not true Christianity. And he looked at me like I had about five different eyes on my face. And he says, no, watch what he does and watch what he says. And this is what the Catholic Church has become, an arm of the Communist Party. <laughs> but am I wrong? Well, I don't usually reveal this, uh, but in my house we call him the hippie commie pope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, 
It's true. I was just going to make, want to make and this I, one I, point, Chris. I don't usually do name calling, but I think he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I said, you know, look at how Islam has aligned itself with Nazism and with communist countries. Look how closely, because well, good. their ge- geopolitical makeup of Islam was what Hitler set his socialist party upon. He used their 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 standards. Please tell me where there's a difference between the two. Why did Muslims fight side by side with the Germans in, in World War II? Why did they help set up the internment camps for the Jews? But yet this, this is something they don't want to pay attention to. And by the way, you've mentioned the Jews, and I've condemned Christian clerics for being professionally ignorant. Well, the Jews have a Ph.D. in professional ignorance because as there are, the Quran says occasional good things about uh, Christians. Now, when it finally gets through at the end in Surah 9, it takes all of the good things it's talked about away. But I've read Mein Kampf and counted the paragraphs of Jew hatred in Mein Kampf. 7% of the paragraphs are devoted to Jew hatred. I've read the Quran. There is more Jew hatred in the Quran than there is in Mein Kampf. But... You try finding a rabbi who knows this, because if you think the Christians are professionally ignorant, like I say, the, the Jews have PhDs in professional ignorance. They excel in the denial of the Jew hatred doctrine of Islam. And you're quite right. It was uh, the uh, Mufti from... When you read Mein Kampf, Hitler never once offers to kill a Jew. Interesting. Most people don't know that. He condemns the Jews, but not, he does not say they should be harmed or killed. It was only after meeting the Mufti of Jerusalem who explained to him how that it, uh, Muhammad had taken care of the Jews, which was killing 800 of them in one day under the sword and buried them in the, soft, in the soil of Medinan, of Medinan uh, marketplace. So anyway, I, just, I got off on a rant here because Islam has a special hatred for the Jew. They call them apes and pigs, rats. Mm. And yet the Jew is not offended by this because they remain ignorant about it, deliberately ignorant. Go ahead, Curtis. Dr. Warner. Yes, sir. Do you think we, do you think we need another crusade? And if so, what form should it come today? I think we do need a crusade, and it needs to be a crusade of knowledge, a crusade of strength, a crusade of wisdom and courage. We need to face the fact that there are facts to be known about Islam, and we need to face the fact that the Christian Church has given up on its Great Commission. You're, as a Muslim, you're never in a safer space than in Middle Tennessee, the, which used to be called a Protestant Rome, because your Islam is totally safe here in Middle Tennessee. No Christian is going to try to convert you. No Christian is going to preach the Great Commission to you. We have Syrian refugees being brought into Middle Tennessee, and they're brought in by Christian organizations. Christian organizations which sign a contract that they will not preach the gospel to these Muslims. Let me repeat that. Christians sign a government document that they will not preach Jesus to these people. Therefore, in central Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee, the church renders unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and they render unto Caesar that which, they render unto Caesar that which is God's. You know, get me started. I on say the, that a change needs to be made. Yeah, get me started on the refugee resettlement program. Oh, good Lord. Matter of fact, it is my state that we have the lawsuit going against uh, the council of Spartanburg-Greenville. Matter of fact, my friend happens to be the attorney for it, uh, Lauren Martell. Um, 
is going from the council all the way on up to the White House that she's has in the name to this lawsuit to stop the refugee resettlement program. Matter of fact, Sue from New Mexico sent me an email uh, about Congress trying to defund the resettlement program. And I'm sorry, I didn't get to read the whole article, but I think there are several attempts of Congress to stop this refugee resettlement program. What these Volugs are doing, which are the voluntary organizations that are helping resettle these refugees into our communities without permission of local government, without the knowledge of local government, and yet local government and the taxpayers are responsible for these individuals. It is absolutely phenomenal the amount of money that goes into this. There's more money that goes behind a single refugee than goes to one of our veterans. Well, you have to keep your priorities in line. The veteran probably votes Republican, and the new refugee is going to vote Democrat. Do the math. And that's a lot of math there. That's a lot of math, especially with the shortening of the pathway to citizenship. It used to be you had to wait years before you could be, go from an immigrant, a legal immigrant, to a legal citizen or a naturalized citizen. But look at the bomber, the Chelsea bomber, naturalized citizen. Oh, didn't he swear allegiance to the United States of America, or was that just a little bit more to Kia? Well, he can't swear allegiance to the United States and be totally meaningful to it because his first allegiance is to the Sharia, not our Constitution. We need to make that clear. Our Constitution proclaims that it is the highest legal authority in, the, in this continent. But Sharia says, no, 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 no. You'll take a back seat. The, and... Of course, our government administering the oath is not cared whether they have their, was it King's X we used to call it, you could put it behind your back and you could tell a lie. They don't, the discussion we're having here is simply not going to be held anywhere within the immigration world. And by the way, let me tell you a little bit about the Syrian refugees. I go to Europe twice a year, getting ready to leave in about another month because I've got an educational organization over there that deals with political Islam. One of the men that I met is a former Muslim, and he is uh, now preaches the gospel in in uh, Iraq. And he said, "I have met the Syrian refugees." And he says, "Let me tell you about them." He says, first off, they're not from Syria." He said, "About one in five is from Syria." And how does he know this? They're all Arabic speakers, and you can understand the country a man comes from by the form of Arabic he speaks, the different dialects. He said, "These are." Uh, not, he said they're mostly from Afghanistan, North Africa, but he says only one in five is from Syria. And he says these are not refugees, these are economic migrants. And we were discussing that on our last show, that they are economic migrants. And there's no such thing as an ep- economic refugee. You can have a religious refugee, you can have a political refugee, you can have an ethnic refugee, but not an economic refugee. You're only coming here to make yourself a little bit better off than you were back home. You're not looking for freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom from persecution. You're looking for the almighty dollar, the American dollar. And, you know, Donald Trump got criticized when he said there should be a vetting system, a strict vetting system. And everyone's going, oh, no, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. But what they don't know is back in, I believe it was 1895, Teddy Roosevelt put in a vetting system. Oh, I'm sorry, 1891. And it was the Immigration Act of 1891 that banned polygamists. He knew that every single Muslim believed in polygamy, 
So in order to keep Islam out of the United States from spreading, he said, well, if you're a polygamist, you cannot come to the United States. We are monogamous. It very cleverly done. Why can't we do that once again? We're no longer clever. Political correctness has made us very unclever. We no longer really discuss issues. Let's take me as an example. People do not argue against me. What they say is, I'm a racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe. They don't tell me. Bill, you're understanding the Sunnah with regards to that uh, hadith about Ashraf. Your understanding of that hadith is wrong. No, 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 no. They never say anything like that. They never say anything when, you, when I say that the Quran is dualistic. They say, no, Bill, we don't even want to look at your rational understanding. We're just saying you're a bigot, hater, racist, Islamophobe. Let me give you another reason. I gave a talk in, South, in North Carolina, and the left showed up to condemn it, and the president of a local community college said about me that I am un, I'm unbalanced and that I should never be given a forum anywhere to speak. Now, let's go over this again. This man is the president of a college supposedly devoted to critical thought and fact-based reasoning. But what does he say about me? He says, oh, he's a racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe. He's unbalanced. He calls me names and implies that I'm not well mentally. So what we need is rational thought here, not name-calling. True. Now, we got a caller. I happen to have been a former co-host of mine, a good friend of the show, Cool Mike. Cool Mike, welcome aboard. We've got Dr. Bill Warner with us. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying this. Almost, I almost didn't want to call in because I'm just enjoying listening. I have uh, two quick questions. Um, why do you feel, as Christians, why do you feel we're so hesitant to retaliate? I mean, it's... Um, you know, as you were you were talking about earlier, it, it just seems like they're so so nervous about uh, basically uh, you know calling a spade a spade. And secondly, uh, with your experience, how was it Muslim? I, I have I have friends like uh, that families are Muslim, but I mean they've never even been in a mosque. I mean, and and like a lot of times their families don't even talk to them. I don't know if it's religious wise or whatever, but I mean they're they're basically just Americans and. I don't even think they know what a church service is. Um, how do they? How does the family handle a kid like that who probably is looked at as an outcast? Well, what you're saying is, if I understood you correct, that we have a Muslim child who never goes to the mosque. Well, yeah, yes. Not only that. I mean, I don't think he knows. I don't think any of them know anything about religion. I mean, well, like uh, I say, I'm going to church, he, and you have they don't know anything about you, that either. You've now met what's called a moderate Muslim. He doesn't practice Islam. When I was in Kosovo, I've been to the Balkans. When I was in Kosovo, I was very interested to be there because it, if you look it up in Wikipedia, I think it says it's 90% uh, Muslim. Well, as soon as we got to uh, Kosovo, we stopped the car and got something to eat at a roadside restaurant where we had pizza with pork sausage on it. We could buy gambling tickets, and you could buy a beer or a shot of whiskey. And I said, this is a Muslim nation? No. It is formerly a Muslim nation, and now then, many of the Muslims that they have now, their grandfather was a Muslim, and so they call themselves Muslim, but they don't practice Islam. And that's the key. Not what you call yourself, but what do you practice. Not what do you, in other words, not, what's your name, not what is your name for yourself, but what do you actually do. In Kosovo, they no longer practice the religion of Islam, but... 
there's a change happening. The Wahhabi Saudis are there. They're building new mosques. They're bringing in new imams. And there's a new kind of mosque in Kosovo. And the people who attended on Friday are young males, and they not only fill up the auditorium, they fill out the street and the sidewalk. True Islam is now coming to Kosovo. And after it's been there long enough, Kosovo, you won't be able to get pork on your pizza, let me tell you that. And you won't be seeing those beautiful Muslim women with their long hair walk down the street. They'll be burked up. So the difference between being a Muslim and just calling yourself that as a name and being a practitioner of Islam is like the difference between night and day. So you're seeing then... Wow. And second question, second question was in regards to, I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm always speaking... Um, you know, I call a spade a spade. Why is it that, I, I mean, I don't know, you had mentioned the Pope earlier, why is it they're just so chicken shit? I mean, what's the matter with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can I mean, tell we're not politically I mean, correct here. <laughs> well, I just don't get it. I mean, I mean, you're at the breaking point and you're still trying to look for reason. Uh, I just don't understand it. You know, I don't either. Those who stay in this business very long always say this, I'm now beginning to understand how people thought in Nazi Germany. They weren't thinking at all. They were afraid to think and afraid to speak. But we are no longer reasonable people. And if you do try reasoning, in fact, race reasoning, then they just call you names. And this is, you know, our nation, our civilization is built on two cornerstones. There's the cornerstone of ethics called the Golden Rule, and there's the cornerstone of thought called critical thought. We're now throwing away critical thought. And once you throw away critical thought, you're no longer able to do fact-based reasoning, which means you no longer are realistic. And what happens to people who are not realistic? One day reality catches up with them and delivers them a punishment they will not forget. And that's what I'm concerned about. We're playing with dynamite here. We're playing with civilizational dynamite and smiling and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Well... Doctor, yeah, wanna... just a quick, Annie, I want to tell you a quick, <laughs> uh, a quick message. I'm going to send you this, Annie. This okay. is how horrible. Uh, two weeks ago, a, uh, basically in our county is Kent County. The adjacent county is Ottawa County. And they share an athletic conference called the OK Conference, Ottawa and Kent County. They have banned chanting USA, USA, USA because it's insensitive. And now I'm what? basically, I'm, I'm going to take them to court. I mean, I'm, I'm not standing for this. And I begged people to get involved with me, including Justin Amash, who's too much of a sissy, our congressman, to get involved. Oh, my. See, what I, mean, I would that, do is I'd go to the... They I'd said go it was to, insensitive. See, insensitive. You know what I would do? Now, I'm a 75-year-old redneck hillbilly. I would go to the games and shout, USA, USA, just so they could arrest me and haul me off. This is Herb London. How are you? Yeah, Dr. Warner, we have our next guest on, Dr. Herb uh, London. Would you like to stay with us as we continue the discussion with, of Islam? Uh, I stay with you. I, won't be able I, to edit on. I, mean, I, I thought that I was going to be on All right. chatting uh, now because uh, I'm in a uh, rather awkward situation. All right. All right, Dr. London, I've got you with us. Uh, all right, Dr. Warner, I want to thank you for joining us. Your website is politicalislam.com. I want to send people over there. I'm going to update the description, and people will check out your website. Thank you for joining us.